The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Well, if you haven't um, been here for a while, or if this is your first time here with us this morning, we are going through, verse by verse, through the Gospel of Mark. We're studying the life of Jesus, because really, that's really what it's all about. It's about Jesus and his life and his ministry and his power, and that's what we've been talking about. But there's a specific question that I want to try and answer this morning, and this is personal to me uh, because I grew up in in an environment that Jesus is going to talk to us about, not only this week, but next week as well. But the question I want to try and answer this morning is this, why did Jesus, who was God in a human body, why did Jesus come as one of us and live as one of us? among us. And what we're going to discover this morning, that one of the reasons that Jesus showed up among us was to put religion in its place. And again, this is pretty personal for me. Now, let me say this, uh, and this is important. Religion has a place. Religion is is actually plays a, a pretty important role in our culture and in our society for sure. And I'm not even talking about necessarily the Christian religion, just all religion. Because we all have questions that we don't have answers for. And religion sort of gives us a context for answering some of those questions. Questions like, you know, what happens when we die? Will I see my loved ones again? Will I see my dad again? Will I see Nana again? Well, you know, those kinds of questions. Am I going to look the same? You know, am I going to be older? All of those kinds of things. Religion gives us answers to questions like, you know, how am I supposed to treat people? How am I supposed to conduct my marriage? How am I supposed to raise my children? Uh, All of us need principles to live by, and religion gives us principles and laws and rules by which to live by. We have ethical questions, we have moral questions, and and religion provides us with some moral boundaries, some ethical boundaries, so certainly religion has its place. But one of the reasons that Jesus showed up on this planet, on this earth, was to put religion in its place, and let me tell you why that's so important, and again, uh, for me, this was such such a clear example of this. This is why this is so important. When religion takes first place, it begins flexing its muscles uh, at the expense of mercy. When religion is on the top, when religion is in first place, when religion is most important, uh, mercy always, always, always suffers. I mean, think about some of the phrases that we've associated with religion. You know, like child sacrifice, honor killings, holy wars, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Remember the religious leaders shouted in religion, uh, in relationship to Jesus? And think about this, and I love history as many of you do, but think about this for a second. And this has to do with the crusader literature. But there were some, some speeches that Pope Urban II gave in the year 1095 that actually launched the crusade. And, and what happened is the Pope, and I'm not picking on Catholics, because remember in this particular time in history, all there were were Catholics, okay? I mean, uh, the Pope was it. All of Christendom was uh, uh, pretty much wrapped up in what was happening 
in the church. And so he decided, they decided to launch these crusades, and the Pope was the one to do it. And so he created a speech. He gave a, uh, the, uh, a speech that uh, originated in France, and then he moved to uh, different large cities, different large uh, populated areas of primarily Europe, but he gave different versions of the speech. Now, the actual manuscript is, is actually lost but, lost, but people wrote down bits and pieces of his speech, and they're all published. You, you can find these things. So again, I'm going to read to you some of what he said, and, and some of this is what people remembered, uh, and then some of these things are, are maybe some things that people added as time went by, but it gives us a glimpse into the mindset uh, during the days and the years of this amazing, strange, awful, contradictory chapter of, of history that we call the Crusades. So here's the motivational speech, here's part of the, the uh, recruitment speech to get people riled up to join the Crusades. Here's just a little snapshot of what he said. This is a speech that we have record of today. Here's what he said. On this account, I, or rather the Lord, you know, speaking on behalf of God, beseech you as Christ's heralds to publish this everywhere and to persuade all people of whatever rank, in other words, take what I'm about to say and let's distribute it, of whatever rank, whether they be foot soldiers or knights, the poor, the rich, to carry aid promptly to those Christians and to destroy the vile race from the lands of our friends. Basically, uh, what he's saying is we're going to sort of do an ethnic uh, cleansing. Uh, we're going to go to, in other words, we're going to go to the Holy Land and we're going to get rid of an entire race of people. Moreover, check this out, this is part of his speech. Moreover, Christ commands it. And if you know anything at all about the crusader literature in the times of the crusades, the marching orders or the banner under which, you know, they went on these, these crusades was, you know, God wills it, God wills it, God wills it. And it probably came and originated, you know, from statements like that. And then listen to this. All who died by the way, that is, you know, on the way, you don't even have to get there. You don't even have to get there. All who died by the way, whether by land or by sea, you know, your ship sinks, you're on the way there, you don't even make it, or maybe you die in battle against the pagans. All who are, die along the way, this is what the Pope said, shall have immediate remission of sins. Now, I'm telling you, when the people heard this, they perked up at this because the noblemen, the lords, the merchants, the really wealthy people, they knew that their lives were just full of sin. And in that, this particular era, this particular time, most of the messages that they heard, the sermons that they heard, were sermons about hell and punishment and fire and, you know, um, and that's kind of how they fundraise. But, but you could actually buy your way out of hell buy your way out of death and fire and, and purgatory. So there was this obsession with the afterlife. And the Pope said in one of his speeches, he said, if you'll go on this crusade, you have, check this out, you have, you know, not when you get there, not even if you're successful, if you just sign up 
and go on a crusade, you have immediate remission of sin. In other words, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can sin your way all the way up to your last day. And if you're on a crusade, you get to go to heaven and your sins are erased. And people signed up like crazy. And, and again, you can, you can read this for yourself. They send their way, uh, you know, to France and Germany and other places that we would consider to be, you know, modern-day Europe, all the way to Constantinople, basically just almost destroyed the city of Constantinople, murdered hundreds and thousands of Jews all along the way until they finally got them across the river, you know, uh, into the Holy Land, and then murdered Muslims all the way to the city of Jerusalem, took the city of Jerusalem thinking, we can do whatever we want to do, and my, if, in whatever we want, because I'm on a crusade, and the fact that I'm on a crusade, I've been told that my sins have been absolved, and I'm going to heaven no matter what I do, and I get to do it in the name of Jesus. It's like, what? That's religion. Not just Christian religion. Any religion. When it, when it becomes the priority... When it becomes first place, mercy, grace, always suffer. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what you find. And this is what we're going to see in our passage this morning as we continue from where we left off uh, last, last time in our last passage. Jesus was in a constant battle with the religious leaders over what we're talking about. Here, here's what happened. Jesus and the religious leaders believed that the law of Moses was important. Jesus and the religious leaders believed that people were important. These were values. And what they argued over constantly was how do you prioritize these values? And see, this is something that you and I do all the time. Everybody prioritizes values all the time. I need to eat. I need to work. Eating's important, work's important. Today I think I'll eat and tomorrow I'll work and tomorrow I think I'll work and then eat or maybe I'll just ignore work and eat all the time. I don't know. You know, spending time with my friends and doing homework's important. Got to prioritize. Today I think I'll spend time with my friends. No, no, today I think I'll do homework. Got to prioritize. You know, spending time with my family's important. I need to work. Spending time with my family's important. I need to work. And so some days you have to prioritize one over the other. And here's what this was about. Jesus and the religious leaders were in a constant debate or a constant struggle, not over is the law important, not over should we keep the Ten Commandments. I mean, everybody believed that. I mean, everybody knew that was true. The conflict was over which one's most important, which one should take first place. And Jesus consistently prioritized people over his own, and this is, this is hard for us, Jesus consistently prioritized people over his own religion. And he was the son of God. He, he consistently prioritized people over his own religion, his own customs, and his own uh, traditions. And the Pharisees, man, it just, they just could not get it. Because they're like, wait a minute, you claim to be from God. You claim to be a rabbi. And yet, you constantly, and Jesus would say, Jesus would even say, don't anybody mess with the law of Moses. Don't try to change the law of Moses. If anybody tries to change or mess with the law of Moses, you're least in the kingdom of God. 
And yet at the same time, Jesus would come along and he would seem to disregard the law for, for some poor soul or somebody who happened to be in need. And they just couldn't get it. And so finally, one day, Jesus just clarified it once and for all. In fact, Jesus makes a statement that if you read past this too quickly, you'll miss what he has to say. But it's such a significant, significant statement and, that Jesus made. And the area that bothered the, the, the religious leaders and all those guys the most is what Jesus would do on the Sabbath, because you were supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. It was a day off. And what happened is, is the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders had come up with a whole bunch of customs and a whole bunch of traditions. Actually, if you study it out, they had like 39 different uh, work categories. It's just unbelievable. All these different categories that they would look at people and judge people on, constantly looking to try to judge people whether or not. But they came up with all of these things in terms uh, of a way that you could interpret in terms of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. You know, so Jesus would heal somebody on the Sabbath, and they'd go, how dare you? I mean, couldn't you just wait eight more hours? Is it really going to hurt Jesus if you were to wait eight more hours? And so Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, and they would go, okay, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're bre- well, there's nothing in the Old Testament, you know, that says thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. Of course, they couldn't heal anyway, but they just felt like this was work, so they were constantly butting heads with Jesus because of what he did on the Sabbath. Clearly, you are breaking the law. Clearly, you are disregarding the law of Moses. Clearly, you are out of sync with the will of God. And Jesus would just sort of shake his head, and so finally, one day, Jesus decided, okay, I've had enough of this. So one day... Jesus uh, and his apostles, or, or the disciples, they're walking along, and they're going somewhere, and there's always this crowd that follows Jesus around. And a part of the crowd this particular day were the religious leaders. And they're looking, they're trying to catch Jesus and catch his disciples. And here's how Mark, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week, Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. He says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as the disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And so the apostles or the disciples, they walk over to this, this wheat field and they're walking by and they begin to break off the wheat and eat the heads or the kernels. You know, they hadn't blossomed before they had a chance to, you know, harvest them and before they could be harvested and planted. It's kind of like a snack, kind of like, you know, free food along the way. And the Pharisees are like, hey, Jesus, look, they're breaking the Sabbath. Your followers, Jesus, your followers, Jesus, are harvesting on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, come on, they're not harvesting on the Sabbath. Well, symbolically, it's kind of like they're doing a lot of work. It's like they're harvesting. And here's what they said. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Because they're breaking off heads of grain and eating them. Why are they doing this? And notice how Jesus responds, verse 25. He answered, have you never read, hey guys, you're the, you're the religious leaders. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. Have you never read where the priest actually set aside the law of God and allowed David to eat because he was in need? And he also gave some to his companions. So David refers them to an, or, or Jesus refers them to an incident in the life of David, where David ate something he shouldn't have eaten 
on a day when he shouldn't have eaten it. He kind of throws it back at them and he says, so you're not saying David was wrong, are you? You're not like, you're not like against David, are you? Because, you know, David and Moses and Abraham, they're like the, you know, sort of the untouchables. So Jesus kind of throws it back at him, and then he makes this unbelievable statement. This is so enormous. This is clarifying. It's disturbing. It's what makes Christianity wonderful and messy. And it will go to the heart, maybe, maybe, of what you have struggled with in terms of your relationship with the church. And here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's standing out there in the middle of this wheat field and he looks at these religious leaders and says, guys, the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, it's not like God created all these rules and thought, man, I got all these great rules, what am I going to do? I need to create some people to keep them. Right? I mean, what am I going to do? I've got all these great laws. I need to create some people. What, what am I going to do? And Jesus, standing out there in the wheat field, looking at these religious guys, he says, guys, you got it backwards. The law's important. People are important. God didn't create the law and then create people. God created people and then created the law. The law is for people, not people for the law. In other words, he could have said it this way. For God so loved the nation of Israel that he delivered them from Egypt. He was in relationship with them. And then provided them with laws to live by. Or he could have said it this way, to put it in our context. Parents, check this out. Parents don't have children, so there'll be someone to pick up the toys. Hey, baby, we got all these toys. Let's, let's have some children so they can pick them up. No, not at all. And let me say something about that, okay? Because we all grew up in different homes. We all had different kinds of families. But I can tell you this. If you grow up in a home where mom and dad were all about the rules and never break a rule, never bend a rule, a rule is a rule is a rule. And the home was orderly and oh, but you couldn't wait to leave, right? You couldn't wait to get out of there. Let me tell you what great parents do. Great parents set rules, and then when it's appropriate or when they feel it's in the best interest of their children, they break their own rules. You go to bed, well, I'm not pointing at you, but you go to bed, <laughs> go to bed at 8 o'clock, no, it's a, you go to bed at 8 o'clock, kids, but I'm going to let you stay up till 9 o'clock. Well, no, 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 that's a rule, we always go to bed at 8 o'clock, yeah, I know, but because of what's happening, I'm going to let you stay up till 9 Oh, wow. Uh, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. Dad, it's a rule. We always go to school. Yeah, I know. I know. But because of what's happening tomorrow, you don't have to go to school. You know what great parents do? Great parents decide that their children are more important than the laws that the parents set. And the parents that don't do that, well, they have a very orderly home, and a rule is a rule is a rule, and you're, you're in charge, large and in charge, but they can't wait to get out of your house. They can't wait to leave. Now, God is a perfect heavenly Father. He did not create people for the law. He created the law for people, and this cuts both ways. I can't tell you. I was thinking about this about with my children when they were small, 
and, and living in the house there. And I, I remember having this conversation with my own kids. And I, I'd go to one of my kids, you know, maybe Jamie, you know, and I'd say something like, uh, I'm about to tell you something. And you, you may even hate me, but you are going to be mad at me. But i got to tell you this anyway. And here's why. Because I've changed my mind about something. I said you could go, but you can't go. But Dad, you promised. You promised. Dad, you're breaking your promise. Yep, I'm breaking my promise. Dad, you told us to never break a promise. It's a rule, Dad. You never, ever break a promise. You're breaking your promise. Yep, I'm breaking my promise. Why? Well, because I checked out where you're going, and now that I know where you're going, you're not going. You know what? I mean, isn't that right? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? But you said, you said, you said, every parent, every parent. You know, you said, you said, well, I did say that. I did say that to you. But I'm going back on what I said because you are more important to me than my promise. You are more important to me than me fulfilling something that I said before I had all the facts. You know what? I told you you could take them, but now you can't take them. Why? Because I met them, and them ain't going. Right? But you said, Dad, you said, you said, you said, you broke your promise. Dad, you changed the rules. Yep, I changed the rules. You know why I changed the rule, kids? Because you are more important to me than the rule I made. And sometimes I would break my, uh, you know, I would uh, break my rules, and they'd be happy with me. And sometimes I'd break my rule, and they would be mad at me, and they might even hate me. I don't know. But you know what was common in both of those scenarios? You know what's common? Them. You. Because you are more important. That's what good parents do. That's what they do. That's what your heavenly father does sometimes as well. And that makes all of us religious people really nervous. As it should. But Jesus said, listen, I have come to show you that religion can never ever be in first place. Now, when Jesus taught this, if you haven't been listening, listen to this. When Jesus taught this about the law, this was not a new idea. When you read the Old Testament, one of the common themes of the Old Testament is that every once in a while, the nation of Israel would get all fired up and they would actually, you can read this, they would actually start using the law of God against the people of God. They would actually leverage the law of God to hurt the people of God, which obviously put them on the wrong side of God. And so here's what they would do. They would mistreat people, and then they would just go on down to the temple or somewhere, and then they would make a sacrifice because God said, look, if you do this and you, know, you disobey me, then this is what you've got to do. So they got in the habit of breaking the laws of God, treating people really terribly, and then just making a sacrifice. You know, like, ha! <laughs> We got this covered. It's like Catholics going to confession. Or it's like Protestants quoting 1 John 1.9. You know, we can just, you know, we found a loophole. We can do whatever we want, you know, and still have peace with God. We're actually kind of using God's word against him. And so every once in a while, a prophet would show up in the nation of Israel. and He would say, okay, enough of that. Enough of that. You think, it's kind of hard, you think you can just keep making sacrifices and make God happy 
God is sick of your stupid sacrifices. Wait a minute, God told us to make the sacrifices. No, God told you to treat people well and make a sacrifice when there's an exception. You've made the sacrifice a rule. You treat people horribly, talk about them, treat them bad, then throw another burger on the grill and like, well, whatever, you know, we just got another sacrifice and God's happy with it. And the prophet of God would show up to the nation of Israel and say, no, 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 God's not happy with it at all. In fact, here's just a snapshot from Isaiah of what he said about that kind of scenario. Here's what he says. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. To which they were saying like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're the one who set the rules. You're the one who said to kill all the animals when we sinned. God's like, yeah, I did. But sin was supposed to be the exception to the rule, not the rule. You think you found some big cosmic, you know, divine loophole. You think I'm stupid? I'm God. I'm God. Stop. Check this out. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. It's like, yikes. Whew. You know what this means for some of you? And you're going to hate me for this. You might be mad at me for this. Some of you are here because of what you did this past week. And you've told yourself, you know what, this is a bad week. Whoo, this is a bad week. I said I wouldn't go, and I did. I said I wouldn't look, and I did. I said I wouldn't do it, and I did. I think I'll go to church. Hey, God, I'm in church. Woohoo! God's like, that's detestable. You're detestable. You think I'm stupid? You think he can come up with some loophole thing and where if you do, then I'm I'm God. And besides that, I don't I don't give you rules and laws. I don't pin your conscience just because I want you to obey. I love you. And you're messing up your life. And you're trying to use church attendance or reading the Bible or memorizing scripture or, you know. A little devotional to try to make me happy. The goal is not to make me happy. The goal is to live a life that's honoring to you, that's honoring to me. Don't use that stuff to try to appease your conscience. I want you to submit to me because I love you. I'm not in love with my rules. I'm not in love with the Bible. I'm not in love with morality. I'm in love with you. So don't play games with me. That was Old Testament. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. And it gets worse. When you, look at this, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. I'm not looking, I'm not looking, I'm not even looking. Even when your prayers, even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. So you you ever wonder where that come from? I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Isaiah, right there. That's where it came from. That was God going, I'm not watching and I'm not listening. Because it's meaningless. 
You, you think you found some religious loophole, and I'm not religious. I love you. I didn't create you so somebody could keep all my laws. I didn't create people so somebody could kill all these animals. I didn't create you just so that you could, you know, fill up a chair on a Sunday. God says, and then then listen to the application. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, fatherless, plead the cause of the widow, but stop bringing me all these dead animals. That was the exception. You've ignored the rule. See, that was all Old Testament. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. (laughs) If you think this is big, wait till next week. Then Jesus showed up. And he, I mean, he got all over this consistently. So one day the, the Sadducees come up to Jesus. They're trying to trick Jesus, right? The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad. You see, yeah, you're learning. That's good. Good for you. Good. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They just thought, well, once you died, that was it. I mean, you were here for the pleasure of God. And then when your life's over, God's had all the pleasure that he's going to get. And, you know, you're gone, no resurrection. And, and, and honestly, that's what most people believed in the time of Jesus. There, there, were, there was a segment that believed in reincarnation, which was kind of interesting. But the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus, which is so ridiculous because obviously it doesn't work. I mean, he knew the question before they even asked it. So the Pharisees are like, they all got together, they all huddled together. Okay, we got one. Let's give this one to Jesus. We think, we think this one will get him. So a Pharisee comes up to Jesus as, as though he's really a sincere person, you know, and he says, hey, Jesus, we got a question for you. Uh... You know, tell us, Jesus, uh, of all the laws of Moses, which one is the most important one? Because they they had an answer, and they were just going to wait to see if Jesus' answer matched with their answer. And if it didn't, they were going to see, see, we got you. What's the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great Greatest commandment, which to all the religious people are like, yes, I like that. Because no one can see my soul, no one can see my heart, no one can see my mind or read my mind. And I can actually convince myself that I'm in sync with God. I can actually convince myself that I am keeping the greatest commandment. I am a commandment keeper. But before they could even finish that thought, remember this? Jesus said, and... The second is like it. They're like, a second? There's a second? No, 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 I just asked about the first. I just want to know what the greatest one is. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm telling you, the greatest has two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. And like it means equals to, defines, clarifies, Uh, allows you to measure, the first one to be measurable, allows you or keeps you from, you know, simply becoming, uh, you know, coming up with loopholes or or keeps you from simply, you know, becoming a religious person that does religious things while ignoring what's most important to me. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And see, I can see whether or not I'm doing that, right? I can know whether or not I'm loving my neighbor. But what Jesus says next is unbelievable, unbelievable. Here's what he says. All, which means all. Would you say that with me? All. All the law, Old Testament, all the law and the prophets hang 
on these two commandments. He's saying, guys, if you ever wonder what the Old Testament is about, you ever wonder what the law of Moses is about, you wonder, ever, ever wonder what that whole thing is, is about, it's all about, it's all commentary on, it's all defining how, it's all pointing to, to two things, love God and love your neighbor. That's what it's pointing to. The entire Old Testament hangs on these two things. So the story of Jonah, what's that about? Well, ultimately, it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. That, that whole story about Noah, what's that about? Well, it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. That's what that's about. It all hinges on, depends on, hangs on, love God, love your neighbor. See, see if you read any of the Old Testament and you come up with a different conclusion, you've read it wrong. If you read the Old Testament and you interpret it to mean anything other than those two things, love God and love your neighbor, you interpreted it wrong. If you give yourself credit for being a religious person because of what you read in the Old Testament and you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor, you are living wrong. Oh, but I like the invisible religion because nobody in Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I know you do. That's why there's two things. That's why there's not just one, which means, you know what this means for you and for me and, and for us who live in the 21st century as Christ followers, if that's what Jesus believed and if that's what Jesus taught, then that means that everything that Jesus taught and everything that everybody taught after Jesus taught, which would be the New Testament, well, those, they, those hang on those two things as well. I wonder what Paul meant when he said I wonder what Peter meant when he said. What about that whole thing about, you know, you know wives submit to your husbands? <laughs> Got you now, you know. Well, what about that thing, you know, about, you know, husbands love your wives like Christ? You know, what, what, what about, you know, what about that thing about parents? What about that thing about divorce? What about the thing? What about, what about, what about? What's all this pointing to? Is it so we can come up with a bunch of religious terms and come up with something that's so confusing that only the, you know, the pastors and the preachers can you know, live lives in such a way that everybody else is sort of less than? Jesus would say, no, that's what religion does. That's what I saw growing up. That's what, religious do. that's what religion does. Religion allows religious leaders to be ahead of everybody else because they own the information. And Jesus would say, no, it's really simple. The entire Old Testament inference, the entire New Testament hangs on, hinges on, is interpreted by, is simply commentary on those two things. Love God and love your neighbor, which means, which means when you find yourself in a situation where you're not really sure what to do, you just do, see, love God, love your neighbor, love God, see, okay, love, love God, love. oh, what does, what does love, in this particular situation with this particular person, what does love require of me? Hmm. What does love, and see, and see, here's the thing, I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. Religion has a place, okay? It does. It just can never be in first place. And here's something about the life of Jesus. Jesus never allowed his theology to get in the way of ministry. Jesus never allowed his theology. Jesus never leveraged his theology to mistreat a person. 
Jesus never, ever leveraged his theology to say, you know, I'd really like to help you out, but I can't because here's what I believe. I'd really like to help you out, but, you know, I can't because, you know, this is what the Bible says. I'd really like to help you out, but I can't because I'm a Christian. Jesus never, ever, ever allowed his theology to get in the way of ministry. And I'm just telling you this morning, I'm telling you, the moment we put religion over people, the moment somebody places their religious beliefs and values ahead of you, we start going backwards. You know, for Kathy and I, and this has been a journey for us in in, uh, how we view this, and we talk about this, but there are times, in fact, there have been many times where Kathy and I have found ourselves in situations in life and experience and just, you know, growing in your relationship with God teaches you these things. But we find, found ourselves in situations where, you know what? We know what the Bible says. We know what we believe. We know what we value. But here's a human being. Here's a person. And there's tension. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love... What, what would love require of Kathy and I to do? What should we do? We know what we believe. We know what people would say. But what do we do? This is a human being. This is a person. We know what our values are. We know what our convictions are. We know what our, you know, but this is a person. And so for years, Kathy and I have just opted for people. And that's uncomfortable. I understand that. Because, you know, hey, where's that going to lead? How far does that go? To what extreme does that take us? I don't know. I really don't know. But here's one thing I do know. It is absolutely crystal clear that this is how Jesus thought. And here's how I know that. And I'll try to say this a bunch of different ways to, to kind of get you thinking about it. And then we'll, then we'll be done. Here's why I know this to be true. Because Jesus didn't die for precepts and principles. He died for people. Jesus didn't die for the law. He died for lawbreakers. Any lawbreakers in here today? Any lawbreakers in here today? Yeah, all these people in the front raising their hands. The people in the back are like, look at all those lawbreakers. Watch your purse, honey. Oh, my gosh. Look at all those lawbreakers up there. People stay up past 8 o'clock, you know, those people. Jesus didn't die for a set of rules. Jesus died for rule breakers. Jesus didn't even die for sin. He died for sinners. Jesus came and showed up. I'm so glad he did. When this dawned on me, this was so liberating to me. When it dawned on me that Jesus, one of the reasons he showed up was to put religion in its place can never be first place, second place, behind you, behind me, behind Kathy, behind the person to your, your left and the person to your right, behind the person to your left and your right physically and ideologically and politically and, you know, religiously. And the reason I believe this, the reason I believe this, because here's, here's the thing, God's view of you, God's view of you, if you want to talk about God's view, God's view of you was defined and has been determined by his son's view of you from a bloody Roman cross. You want to know what's most important to God? And this is what Mark wanted his first century readers to know, and this is what he wants you to know, and this is what he wants me to know. You want to know what's most important to God? Not his law. You. And the reason Jesus came 
to live among us as one of us was to show us and to put religion, all religion, in his place behind you and behind me. It's liberating when you go from religion to relationship. That's what transformed my life. It's not about keeping a bunch of rules because the truth is I could never keep them good enough. It was always about if you look good on the outside, hey, we'll worry about the other stuff later. Dress right, talk right, don't go here, don't have this, don't have this in your home, don't do this, don't. (sighs) If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I just want you to know he loves you so much that he would send, God would send his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins so that you could have a relationship with God no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. He does not invite you to religion or to a denomination or to keep you know, a bunch of uh, rules and regulations. He invites you into a relationship with Him. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads with me all across this auditorium? I want to pray this morning and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, you know, when we talk about these kinds of things, I'm not always sure what to do with this. And then other times I know exactly what to do with it. Living like this calls on me to make sacrifices that maybe I would avoid. Sacrifices that I would avoid and it allows me to hide behind my beliefs and hide behind my religion. And I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, none of us want to do that. Father, would you this morning, even in this moment, regardless of our background, regardless of even how seriously we take any of this, would you give each of us a glimpse of what that would look like in our marriages, in our dating relationships, with the guy at work that we just totally avoid, the lady at work, she just goes on and on and just talks and talks and we just can't wait to get away from her the person of a different faith, our friends, our enemies, and that God somehow, some way, as you have taught me and uh, so many ways where I've, I've missed it, but you've taught me and continue to teach me that somehow, some way, without giving up our values, without giving up our convictions, without giving up what we believe and our views, that somehow we would allow people to edge out in front And that the filter for how we read the Bible, how we apply the Bible, how we would pray would be the way that your son did it. And how amazing that he did that at all. Thank you that you decided to put us in front of all of that. Thank you that you said that you are the heavenly father. And now it makes a little bit more sense. Father, we need some insight. We need some understanding. We're all different places in our journey. We need, we need your wisdom. We need, we need some insight. And Father, I just pray that as we take this to heart, that people, people would just edge out in front. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Just, just one, one quick prayer. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? I just want to have a closing prayer. Father, for the person here today that's never put their faith in you, Father, maybe they've tried religion and 
got burnt out on religion, maybe it's just it caused them to get a, a, a view of you that's not correct. Father, for that person that's here today that maybe is hurting and just is looking for hope, Father, I pray today that, that in their heart they would look to you. They would know that they can come to you and find forgiveness of sins. That no matter where they've been or what they've done, that they can invite you into their heart and you will forgive them of all their sins. It's nothing they can do. They cannot earn it. It's something that you've done for us. And Father, today, for those that are here this morning that would put their faith in you, I pray that you just give them the courage to, to trust you and to do that. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand together with me? Would you give the person next to you a high five? Tell them you're glad they're here today at Solid Rock. We'll see you next week. God bless you.